Hello and welcome back to another episode of In Defense Of, a movie podcast. On this episode, we are traveling back to the year 10,000 BC. Uh, This movie is written and, well, uh, co-written and directed by Roland Emmerich, um, the original master of disaster, Mm -hmm. responsible for, um, in no particular order, the guy behind Independence Day 1 and 2, Godzilla, Stargate, Universal Soldier, White House Down, 2012, Day After Tomorrow, The Patriot. His movies have grossed over $3 billion in the box office. Um, This movie is at 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics say 8%. The audience says 37%. A bit of a disconnect there. And it's pretty easy to tell why when you watch this film, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's dive right in. This was yeah. distributed by Warner Brothers. Uh, budget of $105 million, Box office, $269.8 million. So it did great at the box office, um, but was critically uh, drugged through the mud. Yeah. Why do you think that is, Aaron? <laughs> oh, because people seem to know what was going on 10,000 BC. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, there's a lot to talk about here. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, Aaron, why don't you tell me? Uh, let's unpack the cast and the plot. Okay, so we got Stephen Strait uh, playing Delay. Did I say that right? Yeah. Did I? Okay, yeah. okay. I feel like I always mess it up. Uh, Camila Belle, Bell, Bella? Bell, Bella? Bella. Bella. I never know. Um, as Evelet, Cliff Curtis as Tic Tic, Joe Virgil as Nakudu? Nakudu. Nakudu. And Mozinel as Karen. Karen. Um, we also need Nathaniel Barring as Baku. Those, uh, yeah. The... Oh, and don't forget Mark O'Connor as One Eye. Oh yeah. Okay. Good old One Eye there. Oh, Old Mother. We got to give a shout out to Old Mother yeah. here. Mona Hammond. What a what a trooper. Yeah, and also uh, John Travolta as Security Chief Terrell. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> From Battlefield Earth. <laughs> uh, yeah, he might as well have been in this movie. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there was so many similarities that I kept drawing between both movies. Really, hey, between this and Battlefield. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and also definitely the main the main characters too were were a little bit similar where they they kind of pushed the boundaries, right? Right, totally. Yeah. Yeah, so Roland Emmerich um is no slouch at the box office. He's been entertaining our generation forever. Mm-hmm. Um, his movies, uh, his movies are so much fun. They've always been fun. Um, he's the master of calamity. You know, earth-shattering mm-hmm. events. Um, his movies, in terms of like critiquing and all that stuff, they're all over the map. But in terms of popcorn entertainment value, summer box office yeah. blockbuster. Um, there's not many filmmakers like this dude. Um, but this movie, Aaron is such a departure from the rest of his catalog. Yeah. So what's this film about? Okay. So this film is obviously as the title States takes place 10,000 BC. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's just kind of, it's about a, it's about a small tribe of people living, I guess, in the mountains kind of somewhere. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, and they and they are hunter gatherers, 
and uh, they're noticing like a change in their land, and th- and things are starting to be like become different. Like they hunt woolly mammoths, and they're starting to notice that less and less woolly mammoths are like coming through. And mm-hmm. um, there is this old lady who they called uh, Old Mother, and uh, yeah. she's kind of like the seer in the village. And so one day a girl shows up and the old mother looks at her and she gets a vision and she star- she sees that they're going to be attacked by like or raided by a group of um, barbarians, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so and so that's kind of like where the first part of the movie takes takes place. Um, and then after that, it's D- Delel. Um, as he is an adult, so that kind of all happens. Yeah. yeah, that kind of all happens when he's like a kid, and he and the the girl that comes to the village is Evelyn, who is Delel's uh, love interest. Yes, she doesn't have too much going on in terms of character traits, except for being um, kind of uh, kind of the damsel in distress. Unfortunately, yeah. it's kind of the direction they go with this one. Yeah. Well, not completely because not completely. Yeah, yeah. she does become like import like an import plays an important role uh, towards the end. So uh, there's a lot of prophecies, I guess you could say, that are kind of thrown out in this in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so old mother has some sort of uh, prophecy, and uh, and she knows it, it involves Delel and Evelyn, right? Yes. Like she she predicts it from like when they're like kids, but she doesn't say anything to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Delel's father, he is like the current leader of the uh, the tribe, and he leaves in order to. Um, I, I I actually don't really know what his dad did in like leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of yeah, weird that was because very hard to follow. Yeah, because because they said that he he left he left the tribe to like. Because things were changing. But then, so Delel had to be what? You put him around like nine years old, maybe, when he when his dad left? Yeah, somewhere in there. And then he's got to be what? In his like 23, 24, somewhere right around there when mm-hmm. the movie skips like ahead. And so it's kind of weird because it's like, I don't know. Well, I guess his dad did did do one thing. And I think that was like... Um, as he traveled, he taught people their language so that um, later when Dalel goes out, he can like communicate with those people. Um, yeah, which is very convenient for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very convenient. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, so his, his father like didn't tell anyone what he was doing. He just left the village and uh, he was labeled as a uh, traitor. And so since obviously Dalel is his son, he looked a little bit like, uh, you know, the bit of the outcast because people thought his father was a traitor. So then the movie picks up in the future, and I guess they're trying to uh, capture a woolly mammoth. And mm-hmm. yeah, so you see a you see, you see a glimpse of uh, Dell's character here because he he they go to trap it in a net, and he gets stuck in the net, and then uh, he ends up somehow by I guess pure luck murdering a woolly mammoth, which yeah. still is murdering a woolly mammoth in my eyes. I was going to say he kind of unfairly admits that he didn't like impl- implicitly 
you know, kill it, but he definitely yeah. did kill it. Yeah, like if you had to put a like a percentage of him like running up to putting the spear or like kind of setting up to to kill it, it I don't know, it's probably like a 60-40 thing. Like he he killed yeah. it. Yeah. 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 He definitely like he put the spear up in the rock and it like fell on it. Like maybe you weren't the one thrusting it in there, but like you you killed it. So that that already anyways that's a yeah. Whole that's tangent. like saying that's like saying that Luke Skywalker didn't kill the Rancor in Return of the Jedi, but the door did. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of it's kind of <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, he he that all happens. He gives back the white spear, which is like the the who the leader of the tribe carries. And mm-hmm. um, while he's sleeping, the next morning they get attacked by the barbarians. Uh, mm-hmm. The barbarians come rolling through, obviously pillaging. They take his love interest, Evelyn, and they take a bunch of other hunters as well. Yeah. Uh, then Delel with Tick-Tick and uh, Karen um, head out to go get back their, uh, like, their friends and Evelyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Baku, who is, like, a young... Who is played by, yeah, Nathaniel Baring. He is what is he he's has to be like a teenager or something right yeah and he follows along and takes along um so they go they go on this like epic journey to yeah like like through multiple terrains oh my gosh um, yeah eventually they end up in egypt and uh <laughs> i'm biting a... i'm biting my tongue so hard <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so hard to just there... like jump all over this yeah 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 there's a there's a pharaoh and uh this pharaoh is building pyramids <laughs> and um yeah and so then he, he oh while he travels to uh i i'm pretty i i feel like we can say it's egypt yes um, like yeah, ancient yeah. egypt egypt um he he like amasses an army i guess oh uh because he saved it he saved its saber-toothed tiger um, so that in return yeah. allowed him to amass an army, which was also a prophecy to those people. Yeah. 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 A lot of prophecies going around in this movie. Yeah. This, uh, and then, uh, where, where are we here? So yeah, he gets the army. Eventually they go and they attack and like basically eventually win kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> pretty, yeah. it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. Um, did you watch this before this podcast? Like before? Oh yeah, I saw oh, this. Yeah. I might have even seen this in the theater. Oh okay. Yeah. Now, um, upon doing research on this and unpacking it, um, it seemed to me that the thing that people uh, didn't like the most about it. Um, I get that the story is really cliche and there's a lot of tropes. I get all that. That's not really what stood out. What stood out was people were just tearing this movie apart over its historical and geographical Mm -hmm. inaccuracies. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like when you watch this in the theaters, did you find yourself uncomfortable with any of the historical inaccuracy stuff? Like, did it, no. did it affect you? No, 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 not at all. Not at I all. I was just like, my whole opinion of watching a movie is that that movie is its own world, is its own realm, and anything in that realm is possible. So whatever the events that transpire in that movie 
could be exist because that like I view that as its own world. So when I'm sitting and watching a movie, I'm not sitting and watching it on Earth. I'm pretending that I am in the movie with the people. And so it like makes like that's how I like I view movies. And so that makes it like more enjoyable for me. Right. It's just uh, a fascinating time because we know so little about, you know, and uh, uh, I didn't know much about it, and uh, but then you know I can also thought you know I have to kind of take certain liberties of the story and you know make it uh, a real you know like something where the people discover new things. This is ah uh, this this is what this is what really bothers me about this about this whole the the whole aura surrounding this film. At the top of the episode, we listed Roland Emmerich's catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, Universal Soldier, 2012, Day After Tomorrow, The Patriot. Um, With exception to The Patriot, um, do you really mean to tell me that people went into the movie theater expecting (laughs) historical accuracy? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand. From Roland Emmerich, the guy who, like, blew up the White House? Um, (laughs) Does this mean that Stargate's a piece of junk, too? Are we supposed to say that that's not historically accurate? Like... You know what um, I will accept as, like, historically accurate? Um, what? Independence Day, and that that is when America became <laughs> free when they defeated, yeah. they defeated the aliens. Like, I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, this is the thing, is um, I have to admit, I, I, I hadn't watched this before this podcast. Um, and when I watched it, um, I watched it with my wife, who is a history buff history major actually and this movie had her pulling books off the bookcase <laughs> and flipping through pages and her and I like um because I I've, I've taken a lot of like comparative civilization courses and things like that and then college and stuff so so we were both having a difficult time with the premise of everything yeah. um I'll give you an example I was trying to figure out the geography of this film because um, based on the existence of the mammal, of the mammoths, mm-hmm. and the time that it takes place in, and the geography, the terrain, I placed them somewhere in Siberia at the start of the film. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it would it would seem that they end up in like an Asiatic jungle where there's like bamboo growing, like immediately after, which would place them somewhere in like I don't know, like China or Taiwan, somewhere in that region. Um, but then they make their way. To, to Africa through to Egypt to Cairo, mm-hmm. um, it, that's like ten thousand miles. Yeah, but that's also that's like, ten thousand years ago. So you don't know what the terrain was like. Well, this is what I'm saying: is like I had such a hard time with this film taking off. Like, here's the thing: I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds on this, on this, um, mm-hmm. on the historical accuracy too much of this film because. It's just not the point. There's there's plenty of people who who can do that for us. Mm-hmm. Um, in in fact, I did wanna I did wanna reference a a YouTube video. Um, there's a channel called Trey the Explainer, and he did a three part series on this movie. He called it the Accuracies and Inaccuracies of Ten Thousand BC. Mm-hmm. And over the course of like an hour, he pulls apart this film. So if you if you are bothered or if you are interested in the inaccuracies of this film, which are many, which are many uh, 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 allegedly, you know, from what we know, um, I, I would just cite that, you know, knock yourself out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, the last thing I want to be is an armchair historian because I just, I first off, I'm just not. And second off, we're talking about a Roland Emmerich film. <laughs> 
right? Yeah. So we have to we have to pull back on the reins and say, okay, yeah. okay, this this is this is a fairy tale, or this is fantasy, or this is just sci-fi. You know, there there is nothing at the top of the film that says based on a true story. Therefore, you know, like yeah. I don't understand why. Isn't it okay? I, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but isn't it interesting that like we have such an easy time accepting movies that are set in the future, yeah. but as soon as they're set in the past, all of a sudden everyone puts on their like history glasses yeah. and says, "Well, actually, those chili peppers didn't come from there," or like you know, yeah. or oh that that corn didn't exist, or you know, or the, the metal work, and you know, it's like I don't, I don't like, is that really what's um. Is that really the point, you know? Yeah. Do you want to know what uh, my theory is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in reading about this, uh, about this movie and doing the research, I came across uh, where Roland Emmerich um, actually drew some some uh, inspiration from. And it's a book called Fingerprints of the God, which is written by a guy named Graham Hancock. Uh, for mm-hmm. any of those people out there who listen to Joe, Ro- Ro- Joe Rogan podcast, like I'm sure you already know what I'm talking about. Um, anyways, yeah. so this guy basically writes a book, um, I believe it was in 1994, uh, basically predicting that there was an ancient civilization that existed before like anything that we know. Um, mm-hmm. Basically gets laughed at, uh, gets made fun of, call- gets called pseudoscience. Uh, flash forward like I don't know maybe about 10, 10 or 12 years and a lot of like science has came out supporting um, a lot of like whatever whatever things that he like theorized in like, 1994 um, anyways mm-hmm. long story short I'm not gonna like I could go into a rabbit hole in this whole situation here or in this whole scenario um, but basically mainstream academia just ridiculed him and I think that that's since he kind of took elements from that like this goes against everything in history the fact that there was a civilized saying there's a civilization that existed 10,000 BC that was like advanced goes against everything like mainstream academia like stands for and so I kind of feel like since this movie came out People just didn't care whether it was for entertainment or what it was. From how from how it's been explained to me, it seems that the truth is more leaning towards that there was an actual, um, some sort of actual civilization that did exist. And people are refusing to accept that. And so this movie is kind mm. of going in that direction of like there was a civilization and so again they don't want people to believe it and so they kind of just shit all over it nobody really knows much about this time Uh, there's the fascination with animals of the time which in the meantime it's extinct and um but for me it was was not enough to do like a, a story only about animals you know i wanted to kind of do something more than that and when I found this uh, theory of the lost civilization, you know, I said, that, that's it. You know, I was like really happy about that because that like kind of created like a great human story. That's I my, think there's a lot of... Yeah, that's yeah. my theory. It's a little, it's a, I'll admit, it's a little conspiracy crackpot theory, but that's what I think. I think that's why people really hate it on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there's a lot of confirmation bias that goes into these kind of discussions too, where people already have... 
um, their their beliefs about the past and in history and, mm-hmm. and you know uh, the the neat thing about history is it's always changing based on what we excavate and uncover and mm-hmm. history books are always being rewritten and and so but it's interesting because when I sat down to watch this I didn't know really anything about it um, at the top of the film you think okay. Uh, they need to deal with the problem of there being no mammoths. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, these bad guys um, came and took some of their villagers. So, you know, some of their tribes people. And so now they have to rescue them. And I was like, okay, 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 cool, 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 cool. Um, fast forward like an hour and suddenly <laughs> Atlanteans are building the pyramids? Mm. They actually was, they threw a reference a real trip a reference to Atlantis in there too. Did you see on the map? They yeah they did. Um, but there was also a throwaway line too that somebody says about um, how they 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 came from the sea or how their land was destroyed or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's it's easy to tell based on the movies that he's done alone. You can tell that Roland Emmerich is very much interested in like pseudoscience mm-hmm. and, and uh, fringe science and aliens and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Which is cool. I'm glad that there's a filmmaker out there that's dabbling in that kind of stuff because not many mm-hmm. are. And it's fun. It's really, really fun stuff. Um, so kudos to him for bringing something so divisive to the screen because uh, this movie, Aaron, this was originally going to be uh, a Sony vehicle, but they kicked yeah. it off of their release schedule. And so uh, Warner Brothers snapped it up. Um, it seemed like a bit of a black sheep. It did. Um, yeah, so I don't think anyone felt super confident with this, which is interesting because, as the box office numbers will tell you, um, it it uh, it more than doubled its budget. Yeah, it did really well. Yeah. Is this you, the first movie that we have that has, like, done really well, but it has also been rated this poorly? I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's profitable. No one really talks about it anymore. I, I truthfully couldn't remember a thing about it when we talked about doing it for the podcast. I was thinking, I remember something about a saber-toothed tiger. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is such an interesting movie. And I feel like it came from a pretty personal curiosity in Roland, from Roland Emmerich. Mm-hmm. Now... Is this the first like on-screen depiction of the idea of of like um, ancient civilization, like uh, that kind of pseudosciencey kind of stuff? I think so. Unless it's, I I would say it's it's the first one that has been this successful. Yeah, like outside of the realm of like total fantasy, you know. Yeah. Hmm. You know what this movie <laughs> is? This movie is about fighting capitalism. And, uh, and then the reason why this, uh, movie didn't do well is because of capitalism. Oh, interesting. How do you mean? How do you mean? <laughs> well, cause, because of going back to my theory, if it's like, if it is mainstream academia, that's like kind of, you know, being like, Hey, this isn't historically accurate. This movie sucks. Like, I, I don't know. I, I like apart from the historical inaccuracies, I was like, hey, it was like a good movie to me. Yeah, based solely on the box office take alone. Yeah. Um, I have to assume that historical accuracy doesn't matter that much to the common person. Yeah. Um, 
I I I went into a pretty deep rabbit hole over some of that because I was curious. I, I was curious. I started reading a lot of articles and watching a lot of videos about historical accuracy in movies. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the videos I should I should cite it. I apologize for not citing this video, but one of the videos was comparing um, the year that Lincoln came out the same year as Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. I do too. I actually legitimately enjoy that film. And it was discussing how one was very obviously um, fiction and the other was technically, quote unquote, trying to be based on a true story. It also talked about the JFK movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And it talked about the importance of historical accuracy in movies um, solely because it can change public opinion on certain Mm. events. Um, Because... Because it, it's 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 unfortunate, but it is a true fact that a lot of people don't look past film in term uh, in terms of the information about certain topics. Yeah. If someone's not studying topics, if someone's not getting the education formally through school or whatever, if someone's not reading books and atlases, whatever, whatever, they're going to see something on screen and kind of automatically assume that that's true. Um. And, and give it a ton of weight. I don't know. I feel like that's not giving people much credit. I don't think so either. I, I, I really don't. But that was the argument it set forth. Um, that sounds like some yeah. mainstream academia guy trying to brainwash us. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> All I can really say is that it's such a sticky area. Yeah. Um, I remember when I was a kid... Uh, really liking, uh, really being sort of blown away by Braveheart. Okay. Um, you know, seeing Mel Gibson play William Wallace. Um, my dad's my dad's side of the family. Ha- um, <laughs> up until recently, doing a DNA test, uh, one of those ancestry kits my uncle did. Um, it was alleged that our family had like uh, Scottish um, roots. Uh, <laughs> and and so we were all very we were all very taken with this idea of like William Wallace and all yeah. that stuff. Um and the movie was just wow. But then it wasn't until I got a bit older and started taking, you know, like started taking actual like college level history classes that I realized that Braveheart as a movie historically speaking is so uh, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they like they weren't even wearing kilts at that point. That's how wrong it was. Okay. So, that being said, did it change? It's funny. Here's the thing: is once I learned about the historical inaccuracies of the film, I enjoyed it less from there on out. Okay, but that movie is completely different, though, because like that's pulling real life characters, right? Like William Wallace was an actual guy. The events yeah. that happened, like you know, were some shape or form actually happened. Right. And so, so that, I guess, yeah, that's taking history and twisting it. So that's the argument that people, these critics, are using in 10,000 BC. Mm-hmm. They're giving it the same amount of weight. They're weighing something as historically um, historically relevant as like a specific person. Yeah. They're weighing it against this entire time period and saying, uh-uh, that's not right, that's not right, that would never do that, that would never do that. Yeah, that, yeah, which I just think is stupid. Like, you can't. I don't think so. And 
And and and no, with all due respect to Roland Emmerich, I just feel like they should know better, man. Yeah. This guy is all about the summer blockbuster. Like, yeah. turn your brain off, go in, sit down, and be entertained. Exactly. Okay, so that's that's the backdrop. Now let's let's talk about the actual film, I suppose, um, mm-hmm. in terms of its qualities. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like one thing right off the top of my head was beautiful like pan scenes of uh landscape and whatnot mm-hmm. like very similar to the uh shots in like lord of the rings from peter jackson yes which is because uh they shot in some of it in new zealand ah okay that makes sense i, so I that th- is a fair comparison watching watching this movie um and there is a bit of like narration that goes on throughout this movie i just thought it was so calming it, it, it reminded me of like a film that would be on in the background while you're at a museum looking at exhibits and it's just like some <laughs> TV in the corner. Yeah. It, um, it reminded me of when I went to visit the Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump in, in Alberta and there were all sorts of different dramatized um, videos playing showing yeah. the hunters and doing their thing. Yeah. And I, I swear it was like the opening 20 minutes of this film. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, in, I, in terms of quality, right? In terms yeah. of quality and thematics, I don't mean historically. I mean in terms of quality. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's here's something that really jumped out at me. If here's here's my thought. If if the stakes of your movie is to save the tribe, mm-hmm. uh, we as the audience have to like love the tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this movie for me didn't do that off the top, and but that's. It's especially strange since Roland Emmerich, he front loads all of his like successful films with very clear, strong, sometimes token uh, character establishment, yeah. likable people uh, in intense situations. Before before things start going kaboom, you always establish all the characters and you you care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically his movies are wide in scope, so they jump from here, they jump to there, continents, continent. You know, like mm-hmm. you, he doesn't usually just focus on like one tiny group of people. Yeah. Usually he focuses on three or four. Mm-hmm. And this movie could not be more of a departure from that. Yeah. Well, he does go all over the place, though. Yes, but it's within the confines of the same core group of people. Okay. See, because I kind of went into it feeling like I could make like a Roland Emmerich like bingo sheet, you know what mm. I mean? Where I could just like check the list of things I expected from this film. Yeah. Um, but I would have been I would have been so wrong. I think. Yeah. I honestly think that he read that book mm-hmm. and was really excited by it. Yeah. And wanted to somehow get that on the big screen. Um, but even when I look at the cast, if you look at his other movies and the people yeah. that he's cast. I just feel like this movie scared away a lot of people. I actually read some. Did you happen to read why he chose to cast um, like unknowns? No, I didn't actually. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, it's on their Wikipedia page. It says Emmerich decided that casting well-known actors would distract would distract from the realistic feel of a prehistoric setting. Hmm. So that's why he chose to go with. Uh, with that's unknowns <laughs> the thing that distracted me from the prehistoric setting was all the metalwork and ironwork and the... yeah. <laughs> well oh. i mean like it, the way that i justify it in my head is that 
the pyramids, right? Like they, like to this day, it's still unsolvable. Like people ha don't know how they, um, how they built them. And the general consensus is that it was slave labor, right? Um, and that's how they built them. But like, you don't, they could have had metal tools. Like the pyramids are massive. Like how did they make those? Well, I don't know. Like, I've heard two different theories of thought. One is that, yes, it was slave labor. And the other one was that it was actually just skilled workers that were, like, honoring the pharaoh. And that they actually, the workers lived really well. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that, like, we have some archaeological evidence, but no one really knows. No one definitively knows. We're just kind of, like, revising as we go. So. Yeah. It's yeah, the, like it's the thing just is, not... is met, metal will degrade. Like they could have had metal; it could have been buried, and like it could have just yeah, like decomposed. Um, yeah, because that's like metal. Metal will return to the earth, but stones are what lasts forever, like monoliths, right? Right. And so that's why we still have all these like ancient uh, monoliths, like Stonehenge, pyramids, um, you know, all those types of places, right? So like that's right. what I'm saying is like you don't know that there was a metal at 10,000 BC. That is true. Well, that is true. I mean, I'm I'm always just gonna take the side of uh, that there is like that we don't know because like I I just feel <laughs> like history is such a large part and we're such a small part of it. And, um, oh yeah, we're such like, a blip. Yeah, exactly. Like we're just a blip, and we don't know what happened. Like all we can do is um, l uncover things, dig things up, and make educated guesses. Right. I think in order for someone to 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 truly enjoy this film, um, they have to take off their historian glasses. Yeah. Um, and they have to give some leniency to the geography for sure, because mm -hmm. I, I was, I was very confused. Um, again, I don't know what it is, but the, all these movies we're reviewing are so lax on expressing the passage of time, Aaron. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea how long the journey was and how, um, in, in, a lot of movies, they have these tricks of expressing the passage of time, whether it be people's hair or facial hair growing or, um, you know, day and night cycles or someone will just flat out say, oh, we've been traveling for 30 days or, you know, there's mm -hmm. all sorts of movie tricks to convey to the audience how long our heroes have been on the road. Yeah. Um, but it seems like in all of these lesser reviewed movies, um, it's really difficult to tell just how far and how long they've been out for. Mm -hmm. um, so that, to me, was probably my biggest struggle with this film, was just coming to grips with um, the geography and, and seeing things that I didn't think should be there and, and really stepping outside of the armchair historian. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but once you do that... Let's talk about what it does have to offer. Mm -hmm. um, so overall, I would say positive message of a man who like loves this woman and goes in, a, in a, an epic journey to find her. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty standard storytelling. Yeah. Um, I noticed a lot of similarities between this and everything from like 300 i kept thinking of th there's the there's the scene near the end when he confronts the uh the i guess the pharaoh of egypt okay who yeah i th 
it reminded me of um, the confrontation with Xerxes in 300. Okay, um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, when I, he throws the spear. Yeah, there's this, there's a, there's this movie trope. It's not used very often, but you'll see it a bit. Is where um, the alleged god king uh, bleeds, and then everyone knows that he's not actually this revered god king. He's actually just a man. The bat is dead. Bury it. Consider this mercy. Tell me. Um, it's, you know, now that I say it, I actually can recall like a lot of instances of it happening. Mm -hmm. Um, it reminded me a lot also of the biblical story of Moses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I Um, got that too. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of interesting to me because I was, I saw the parallel that they were kind of drawing. And I think Aaron, I think, um, I think I wanted them to get stranger. I think that was my my thing with this film mm. is I wanted them to go further. Like you got people from Atlantis, let's go further. Like let's see what Atlantean <laughs> technology is like. You got people who are supposed to be gods, let's go further. Let's see what's going yeah. on with those guys. You got this bad guy with a pitch corrected voice. Let's go further with you him. You know let's... what? That would have been true. <laughs> that would have been true Roland Emmerich if they did that. Yeah, I couldn't help but think of Stargate the entire time I watched this because yeah. Stargate is such a great film. It is such a great adventure film um, with an amazing soundtrack. And I kept drawing parallels to this because there's a lot of similarities yeah. of the um, you know, the bad guys with the pitch-corrected voices and the uh, e- Egyptology that's fantasized. And But I just I wanted them to get stranger. I was like... I feel like if they got stranger, people would have been able to take off their cynic glasses and relax a little bit and breathe and be like, okay, I get it now, you know. Um, One thing I found interesting, uh, the language that they created for this movie, like it's not an actual language. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. And I was looking into it. And so I guess they made some sort of dialect that was... uh, Supposed to be sound similar to some, I think, African tribe of some sort. Uh, but yeah, like they're the whole whole time that everyone else is speaking when they're not speaking in English. It's a made up language that they did specifically for this movie. Okay, I have a question. Did your copy of the film, the the digital copy, did it have subtitles when like the bad guys were talking? No, when the Atlanteans were talking, it did not. Okay, because I was I was so lost. Yeah. Um, I was like am I supposed to know what they're saying? And I was like, I don't know if it really matters to be honest, but I was thinking, uh, shoot, there's, was there something wrong with I my, don't my think, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that you were ever supposed to know what they were saying. That's so weird because there are, there are two or three minute scenes that happen where it's just them having conversations. Yeah. Um, where you do not know what they're saying. Well, I guess that's probably why they had his dad go out and teach other people the language. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very bold choice because we when we talked about Battlefield Earth, I was saying how rad it would be if the if the um, cyclos were mm-hmm. uh, were were subtitled instead. And in this one, they go the extra step where they don't even give you subtitles. They're just like, yeah, yeah. you just have to wait it out and see where it goes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Okay, so this brings me to my, like, WTF moment of the movie. Go for it. And I think you probably have the same one, but when they pull the bald guy out of the the floorboards and he (laughs) stops... Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh my gosh, that voice. (laughs) Yeah, and so I, like, okay, so I remember, I remember being however old I was when this movie came out and being in the theater, like sitting with my sisters and this comes on and like everyone else in the theater is like pretty serious. And then it's just me and my sisters like bursting out laughing as like loud as we possibly can. But yeah, Yeah. it's so funny. He sounded like Eddie Redmayne's character in Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> okay, okay. So so this also brings me to my next thing. I thought we could do something fun. And yeah, uh yeah. okay, I'm I'm gonna talk like the guy and yeah. uh and you're gonna interpret for uh all our listeners, okay? Oh no, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Wait, wait, wait. Oh man, let me get ready. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> He says that they came from across the water and that their land sunk. He says that they built pyramids using mammoths. And that and that the stones weigh weigh two point five tons each. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. You do it so well. I just like oh the for what like, a weird choice. Watching this movie again, I, I just bursted out laughing. I I have yeah. so many questions about this guy. So he was a former slave of the gods. He ran yeah. away, and the I guess the other slaves found him, and they were like, "Okay, we'll like keep you, but you gotta lay on this like wooden plank in a hole in the floor, and like we'll bring you out every once in a while." Like, does he like? I have so many questions about that guy. So he's blind, but he ran away. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's blind. He's ran away, and he lives in a floor. But he knows. I don't know. He didn't even really seem like he knew much about them. Yeah, and something tells me they may have forgotten about him once they got freed. <laughs> yeah. I have concern. I'm really concerned about his well-being after oh, that. Oh, me too. Yeah. Like, are we forgetting somebody? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we should we should probably talk about uh, his love interest, Evelyn. Um, yeah. So was... there is some sort of prophecy that I guess surrounds her as well, and uh, that she was gonna, or like I guess the only thing that can take down the gods was a by someone who bears the mark of a hunter. Is that what it is? Yes. And that's the constellation. I guess she, on her hand, she has a scar of like the constellation of the stars. And for some reason, uh, the, go- the gods are freaked out by that. 
Yeah, it's their free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even see, even in my mind as we're talking about this, I'm I'm holding back on the historical inaccuracy side. I'm doing it on purpose. If you're <laughs> listening right now and you, we're not going to talk about it. We're just not going to talk about it. You're going to have to be frustrated that we're not going to mention it. Um, yeah. And Evelet looks like uh, she's cosplaying as Evelet. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the blue eyes, but something about her. She looks like she should be at like a comic con or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the hair. <laughs> I think it's the hair. Yeah, it's very modern looking hair. Yeah, she just does. She just doesn't look like she belongs in like a tr- nomadic tribe at ten thousand BC. Yeah, those eyebrows, man, and the like, she, just... she looks like someone that you'd run into like a like some organic supermarket or something. So let's um let's talk about some specific things that we do like about this film. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel like, I feel like we're, we're doing a pretty decent job. Like I'm having a tough time with this one for sure. I'll admit that. But like, mm-hmm. I, I think we're doing a pretty decent job of defending a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that people take umbrage with. But I, I do want to talk about some very specific things that we do like. Yeah. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is the saber tooth tiger. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically when it's in the pit, Mm-hmm. Um, with the de- delay and it's all wet and it's coming out of the water. Yeah. Um, this is 2008. This was, this was 11 years ago. Yeah. And that looks really, really good yeah, for the time. I thought so. Yeah. Like the, the, the fur, uh, simulation on it and, and yeah. even the fur on the mammoth, it looks so good yeah. still. And isn't it like apparently really hard to, um, like CGI wet fur? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it's insane. Yeah. Okay. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, the saber tooth kind of doesn't look as good in the day shots when, you know, uh, it's in the, the, the village there, but in the pit, holy smokes! You know, you got the nighttime lighting. You got all this water splashing around. Um, even the sound design on it, because they the sound design comes from like uh, they mixed like lions and tigers and ligers mm-hmm. and came up with some really unique vocalizations. Yeah, that whole that whole sequence to me is. Um, if you watch that, it's hard to believe that that was in two thousand and eight. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a heck of a scene. Yeah, it looks so good. And I love how he kind of he kind of bonds with it and he's just like you better not mm-hmm. kill me. What does he say? You better not eat me or you better not kill me or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Do not eat me when I set you free. Cuz he decides it's a really cool character moment. Mm-hmm. He could have he could have killed the the tiger. Yeah, the Siberian tiger, saber tooth tiger. Sorry, yeah. sorry, saber tooth tiger. Um, but he decides to free it instead. Oh, let me ask you this thing because I've been noticing mm-hmm. this um, this trend in movies, and uh, it's where the main character, like they can't have him look bad, if that makes sense. And so, um, like when he fights the woolly mammoths, you notice that oh, he didn't kill it, right? And uh, oh, I see what you're saying. And then when it comes to the tiger, rather than kill it, like rather than the prophecy be of a man who killed it, it's someone who saves it or talks to it, you know. And it and but but like it's just kind of like a weird meta thing that I've realized um, that like writers will do in movies is where they won't like give this care like the main character a badass edge or anything like that like they got to be likable oh yeah he is kind of a pacifist for the most part 
until the end. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But then, but then, what also doesn't make sense to me is as soon as it comes to murdering like people and humans, it's like there's no rules or restrictions against it. Well, it's probably because he grew up getting his ass kicked by his fellow tribesmen yeah. because, like, this dad left or something. Yeah. Maybe he's got some anger issues, but he just super loves animals. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, that, that is so interesting. That, to me, sorry, this was an underdog story. You know, uh, Dalal was a like left by his dad, like uh, made fun of by his like tribesmen. Yeah. Uh, never really believed in himself and essentially like rose up to take down the gods. And I just, I'm a sucker for an underdog story. I'll always, I always will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Um, this movie does a lot of things well in terms of story, in terms of epic. I'm always, I'm always, uh, suspicious of a movie that self-proclaims itself as an epic especially if it's under two hours and running time um Mm -hmm. because what how much can you really say in that short amount of time this this movie reminded me a lot of what they tried to do in jupiter ascending where they just like bloated it with lore and with funky ideas and it just got too big for the running time and ultimately kind of collapsed in a little bit on itself Mm -hmm. this not as much as jupiter we'll probably get to jupiter i'm sure at some point in time but um here's here's one of the things i I really want to say about this movie um it's it 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 might sound counterculture but not every movie has to be spectacular yeah you know what i mean yeah sometimes a movie is just good yeah but not amazing yeah um I think we've lost touch with that in our like mob mentality yeah. modern society. Now, I, I'm not going to use this argument like at any other time really moving forward with these episodes, but I thought it was really fitting for this one because of the kind of reviews I was reading. Mm-hmm. Um, even like professional, um, high, high standing reviewers were using words like unbearable yeah. and using words like atrocious, yeah. awful, absolutely horrendous and i was i was looking at that eight percent thinking that is probably one of the most unfair ratings i've seen so far on this journey aaron when did we reach this point where a movie either has to be extraordinary or complete trash (laughs) i have no idea it it, that's that's the thing is it dry it drives me insane like like i said this movie is its own universe and whatever goes on can exist man it's uh, such a movies Sorry, movies are like meant to kind of push the boundaries of what's real and what's not real yeah um i always think of the instance of like the flip phone and how apparently it was inspired by uh what is it the communicators on star trek right right and movies like almost kind of innovate with by um by showing us things that like could be but aren't actually yeah right yeah. And and that's and that's what I love about a movie is that it takes me out of like my my like realm like my earth and pr- puts me in this other place where there's a guy who saves a saber-toothed tiger or you know mm-hmm. and it's just it's just awesome to me like that is a movie and um I find now everybody wants there to be like crazy things like that but mm-hmm. also are somewhat believable that they could exist. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Having gone through so many of these movies, um, and the more I read these reviews and immerse myself in this whole culture of movie review culture, what I'm realizing is that more and more, either a movie has to be absolutely flawless and spectacular, 100% mm-hmm. yay, or it is cons- or is literally like complete trash. Yeah. And f- for some reason, there is no room for just okay movies anymore. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of sad because you don't get to see like fun movies. No, because now there's no more risk taking. Which is ex- this movie was a total risk. Yeah, there's no. It's either a Disney movie or something owned by Disney, or it just doesn't happen. Um, I've been really closely following the release of Stuber, uh, that new comedy with Kamel Nanjiani. Okay, and, uh, yeah. Um, shoot, why can't I think of his name? Right uh, now? Dave Batista. Dave Batista. Yeah. Um, and. They were talking about this. Uh, I was reading online how people were proposing that a movie like Stuber shouldn't cost the same as a movie like Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Mo- movie uh, theaters are trying to combat this separation um, by thinking about doing different tiers of pricing depending on the optics of the film so if they think it's going to be this huge summer event they're going to price it at 15 dollars or 18 or 20 dollars a ticket um but if it's like you know like a comedy and they're going to price it lower Mm. so they're talking about trying to fix this this cultural thing that we've done to the box office where it's like if it's not perfect no one's gonna even go see it yeah you know what i mean this is these are interesting times man for movies like holy smokes um uh, I really feel like there's an audience out there for 10,000 BC, especially now with uh, with the resurgence of this ancient culture stuff. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan's been very instrumental, I think, in bringing mm-hmm. out a lot of this knowledge to like mainstream because his podcast is so huge that I think so many people are hearing this stuff for the first time. Yeah. So I feel like there's an audience out there for this film if he can be patient and relax and 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 uh, park park your history knowledge just for like two hours you know yeah i would agree with that do you think that a lot of the uh um hating on movies for historical accuracy do you think a lot of that's just like ego Mm, yeah i i honestly i don't know you know i i for me it would all come down to depending on who the person is reviewing it right like is it a mm. uh, like history buff reviewing it? Then yeah, I'd probably say ego. Because there's there's some investigations that like what's that YouTube series? Is it is it is it uh, history buffs? Is that the channel that goes through movies? Oh, I'm not sure. I like theirs because they're done kind of uh, they're done sort of impartially. Mm-hmm. Like they explore the history without without correlating that with the overall quality of the film. They kind of like letter grade the historical accuracy of films just on basic. Uh, just on general curiosity more than anything Mm -hmm. it's not setting out to demolish a film it's just it's just more informative yeah um that sort of thing to me has great value because there's a lot of people that need to be informed that you know if if a movie doesn't explain something properly that's important historically Mm -hmm. the average person needs to know yeah um but aaron this movie man it's it's um it's sci-fi you know what i'm saying well, I, I feel like the average person should know 
that they shouldn't be getting their history knowledge from movies. I've been surprised before with this kind of thing, like, though. I don't... Like, if, if you are watching a movie and that's, like, where you get your information from, like, you need to give your head a shake. Well, I think that if you went into the theater expecting historical accuracy from Roland Emmerich... Yeah, that too. Yeah, for sure. that too. That's just, that's just bonkers yeah. to me. Um, yeah, I mean, especially if you look at his upcoming film slate, you know, this, with this this movie that's coming up mm-hmm. soon that's announced about an asteroid hitting the moon and sending it out of orbit towards Earth. Yeah. I can't wait to see what... I, you, know, you know what? <laughs> with what you just said there, I think I'm always going to defend Roland Emmerich because this is a guy who is outside of the box and like everything that he does and creates, you know? It's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's just something different. If you want to watch a movie that is like different from normal movies that you watch, like this is definitely up your alley. Then I liked that he took a crack at. Um, I really liked actually that he like that he took a crack at um, explaining how maybe they would have positioned those stones on the actual pyramids with the ramps and the uh, mammoths. Because mm-hmm. now I, I don't know how well those mammoths would have done in the heat, but I do uh, I do know that they have uncovered ramps, and ramps is an ongoing theory as to how they got those stones in place. Mm. Um, so I did like that. I thought that was really interesting to see that on film, to see that stone yard where mm-hmm. all the that was that was some really cool imagery. Like, yeah. um, oh, and that shot of the the boats on the Nile. Yeah, um, that looks so good. It did. Yeah, that shot where they they did the wide shot where you see the sails. Um, gosh, that was gorgeous. Yeah, like it was a it was a beautiful movie. Even the when they get to Egypt too, like all the CGI and everything that goes on there, it's not bad. Yeah, I will always be on board. Uh, ancient Egypt yeah. films. Um, one of my guilty pleasure movies is the Mummy, oh, the Brendan Fraser them. one, because I love. I love when they show like the Egypt and its prime yeah. stuff. Um, now that with all this technology, I want more movies of Egypt and its prime. That you next, know what I mean. Next movie you got to watch is Gods of Egypt. Oh man! Well, Egyptian culture is so fascinating. So fascinating. Um, just incredible. And the more you learn about it, the more your mind's blown. Yeah. Um, everything from their political systems to their, mm-hmm. you know, their science and and just everything is so fascinating. So. You know, whenever a movie goes to ancient Egypt, I'll always be on board to mm-hmm. see what they do with it for sure. Yeah. 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 So Aaron, um, do you do you have any other notes about things you liked and stuff? Uh no, I think uh I think we covered it all. What did you think of the birds? Did you like the birds? Like the, the killer like Yeah, I did. Birds? You know, oh, I was gonna say this. That he almost like kills that bird in the same way he kills the mammoth. Oh yeah. I think maybe he just like held on to the spear a little bit longer on this mm. one. But you know, if you're gonna count mm. that as a kill, why wouldn't you count yeah. uh, the mammoth as well? Yeah. Um oh also old mother. We gotta talk about old mother. Yeah. Um uh, she she was the MVP of this movie, just like chugging along, keeping herself alive, so she could eventually sacrifice mm-hmm. herself for Evelyn. Yeah, so yeah, uh, she had it rough. Yeah, and she had this this deep connection to the earth and 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 everything. She was so revered, you know. There there was like some neat mysticism happening there, but yeah, she seemed she seemed almost like the last of her kind. Hey, like she was like this. 
the last of the of the of the oracles or something. It was really interesting. It was. Oh, uh, we should talk about the alternate ending. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 So there is for those of you um, who watch the movie, uh, look up on YouTube. Uh, 10,000 BC alternate ending and uh, basically what it is um, is Baku telling the story of what just transpired um, but he's like way older like he's in his what like 90s 100 years old I don't know somewhere right around there Um, he's like the new old mother basically Um, and so he tells Mm -hmm. the story and the way he said, I think the last line of the last line of it, he says, but now they all return to sand, which I thought was awesome because it's like, Hey, maybe that stuff could have existed, but now it has turned like to sand. Yeah. You, you kind of realize that he has been the narrator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I liked how they showed the Sphinx with the uh, lion head because that's the theory that yeah. it was originally a lion, but then the Egyptians came along, and uh, the Egyptians came along and carved it, re- repurposed it into the head of one of their pharaohs. So I thought that was really rad. That too, and uh, the like. I don't know if you noticed at the top of one of the pyramids where there was like the gold or whatever kind of tri- like pyramid, mini pyramid on top, and that fell off because mm-hmm. I think there is something. Um, with one of the pyramids in Egypt where, like, the top portion of it has been replaced, too. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so it's like they they got, like, lots of little tidbit kind of Easter egg type stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, here's what I will say. I was originally thinking about this in terms of an argument for this film, but instead I'm going to repurpose it and say, if you have such a problem with the historical inaccuracy of this film, if that's the only thing stopping you from really digging into this film... Consider that this is a story being told by this old dude around a fire mm-hmm. to a bunch of kids. Consider that it, he might be embellishing some facts. Yeah. You know? That's all I'll say about that. If that's if that's if that makes it easier for you, I, I hope it does. Um, you know, if that's if that's really, really that tough for you, check that out because I think that might change your opinion of how you look at and frame the film mm-hmm. for yourself. Bit of a cop out, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it might help somebody. <laughs> well, Aaron, how? W- what would you say to recommend this film? I would say, do you like? Do you want to know what existed ten thousand BC? Because if yeah. you do, watch this movie. Yeah, because it is uh, what, historically accurate. What would you give as a critical score? Oh, I would give this uh, uh, forty mumbling guys who live in a hole <laughs> out of. Uh, for wait, uh, no, let me do old mother. I would give this 10 old mothers out of 10 old mothers. <laughs> nice. Um, I would give it, I would give it five woolly mammoths out of mm. 10 woolly mammoths. Okay. That's because, fair. yeah, I mean, I, I found some stuff to like and, and I feel like I, uh, I feel like I got some enjoyment out of it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't. I, full disclosure, I don't think I was in the right frame of mind for this. I feel like I would have enjoyed this better if I had teed it up by watching some trailers and yeah. uh, maybe unpacking it a bit first. Because when I got the the historical inaccuracies and the, and the the geography stuff, it hits you hard and fast. And if you're not ready for it, you you're it's going to take you out of the film. So you got to go into it with the right mindset. Um, and you have to be kind of open-minded about what Roland Emmerich is trying to say here. Yeah. Also, 
Watch it alone for the blind guy in the floor scene. It's worth it. Oh my gosh, yeah. Watch it for that dude. Yeah. That dude who just had to live in a hole. Yeah, that guy's a that guy's a He's, he's probably still in that hole today. Yeah, that's true. We don't know what the uh Atlantean lifespan is. Yeah. We need you know, we need we need like a prequel of his character. <laughs> <laughs> Guy, <laughs> before he goes blind. Oh, I'd be, I'd be so into that. Escaping Atlantis. Um, I'm pretty sure it's called Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> pre- I got really excited at this uh, when I saw the Egypt stuff. I got kind of excited because I was like, "Ooh, is he setting up like a really low key Stargate prequel?" Mm. Uh, but, but no, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like that was a missed opportunity because that would have been mind blasting. <laughs> Well, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's 10,000 BC, you know, um, it's, in my opinion, it's, it's not the most engaging film I've ever watched, but certainly not 8%. Holy smokes. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So I I encourage (laughs) you to check it out. Check it out. Check it out. All right. Well, this has been In Defense of a Movie Podcast. And thanks so much for checking out today's episode. Uh, Feel free to check out our socials. Uh, Feel free to shoot us an email. And uh, we're uh, we're slowly approaching the end of season one. And we've got some cool stuff planned for season two and uh, some neat stuff that we're going to roll out in the Mm -hmm. the coming coming weeks here. So thanks so much for checking uh, out the podcast, you guys. We really, really appreciate it. And we just want to say hi to all our listeners around the world. And uh, we're so glad you joined us today. Oh, uh, we got a, we have an Instagram. Oh, yeah, we do. Uh, Instagram's up yeah, and running. Yeah, in defense of. Please search us. Please add us. And if you talk to me, I promise to talk back to you. It's true. I, I did it. <laughs> okay, guys. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.